0: Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Mountain View Church, Sunnyside. For gathering times and location, find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. If you're new and this is your first time with us, you're thinking, this is normal. If you're not, you're thinking,
1: what? This is not normal.
0: (laughs) So uh, we're going to talk over the next seven weeks about seven good things. They're biblically good, they are personally good, they're enjoyably good, which is now a word, they're good. We're going to talk about the ways that God created you and me to live, and the way that we kind of blow that up sometimes. But over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about seven good things that God blesses us for, designed us for, and empowers us for.
1: Hi, I'm Anna. Whoops. (laughs) He was supposed to introduce me. That's okay. Um, We're really glad that you're here today. This is not normal. I'm not usually sitting up here, so bear with us because this is not something that I do regularly. So um, yeah, so we're going to talk about some good things over these next few weeks, but what we're going to really focus on is the good things that God has for us that we often then distort and turn into a God thing. It's something that we take that's really good and we turn it into an idol and we begin begin to worship it. And so that's what's not good. And so it's um, taking from God the blessings that he gives us and then what we do is we start to worship the creation more than the creator. And so you can see that that's a distortion and something that we want to make sure that we get right. When we begin to worship the creation more than the creator, it leads us to a dead end. That's not a road to life. It's not a road to hope. And um, so it's things like looking to food to comfort us instead of turning to God. It's looking like when we turn to competition instead of cooperating with the Lord and what he wants to do in our lives. Um, It's trying to fill fill a spiritual void with material possessions because we get security out of having more material possessions.
0: What Jesus is directing us to is something he has in a conversation with a lady uh, in John chapter 4, and she's done exactly what we do. She's tried to build her life on things that aren't going to last and things that aren't going to sustain her beyond just one day. And he gives, he's talking about water in it, and he says, anyone who drinks this water We'll soon be thirsty again. That's how all of us are. If you drank water yesterday, that's great. If you drank water today, that's even better. But today's water isn't going to hydrate you for tomorrow. The goal tomorrow is to continue to drink. And Jesus says, I've got something that isn't going to leave you empty. He says, but those who drink this water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's saying exactly what you said a little while ago, that when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's a bad thing. But we're going to talk about seven good things over the next seven weeks, that to keep them where God created them to be, lead us to a place where we're worshiping God, where we grow in our love relationship with God, and don't eat ourselves away from the inside by putting all of our weight and all of our worth and all of our stock and all of our energy in things that aren't going to last. And so the first good thing that we're going to talk about today, the first of the seven good things uh, that God designed us for and created us for, the first of those is the whole idea and the whole creation of sexual attraction. Sexual uh, sexual attraction, the first time that we see it in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2, which means that it existed, it happened. God brought it into the world before sin came into the world to distort it. There's a... The way that it's written, Genesis chapter one is everything that happened. And so it's very detail oriented. Genesis chapter two, very detail oriented, very black and white. And then Adam sees Eve, the woman that God prepared for him, not just a woman that he gets to choose from, but God is saying, This is your wife. He presents Eve to Adam as a father would present his daughter to a groom. And all of a sudden, Adam, who's super fact-driven and super like black and white, breaks into emotion, breaks into song, gives her a nickname. There's enthusiasm there, not because that desire for sex inside of him is wrong, but because it's right. The problem is where that God-given desire that God puts inside of men and women... At the very beginning of the world goes off the rails. God created sex to exist between one man and one woman in one marriage for one lifetime. That's the boundaries that God creates sex to exist within. And what I want you to hear me say right now is if that has gone outside, if your sex life has gone outside of the ways that God created you to live, God is a God who restores. God is a God who puts back together. There is nothing that we could bring into this world within that area of our life that God's like, I got nothing. You're broken. You fix yourself. But instead, God is a restoring, rebuilding, recovering God who takes back what the devil stole from us because it gives him glory and it fills us with a reason to love God and follow God. And so as we talk about lust today, what we're talking about is removing the pleasure from the person behind it. That's what lust is. For, for God's creation of sex to exist within a marriage, there's a commitment not just to a body type or not just to, to that part of the relationship, what happens in the bedroom, but what happens everywhere else. And what lust does is it just focuses straight to what can I get? Never mind who you are. I just wanna take what you have to offer me. And so the good news about what we're gonna talk about today is that no one here has to live as a slave to lust. This is based in the good news of what Jesus did for you and for me to rescue us from our sin, that when we were lost and separated from a relationship with God because of our sin, God took the first step. God moved toward us in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, he's God. He's in human form. He's living like us, but living nothing like us because he's God. He doesn't have a sin nature like we do. He is perfect all of the time and forever. And the reason for that is because there's a debt that you and I have built up against God because of the way that we live. We live by nature and choice, selfish, separated from a relationship with God. And so Jesus came into the world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin debt and mine, sexual sins included. So that for us to follow Jesus, we're saying, I'm dead, I no longer live, I want you to take over my life. And the best part about how Jesus works He's not like an Uber driver who's only going to pick you up from a certain spot, right? Wherever you are, he's going there. Even if it involves a boat or a four-by-four or a helicopter, he's going there to pick us up. There's a great verse, uh, Galatians 2.20, that shapes our mind around this. I don't have to live as a slave anymore. That's because my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. It's Jesus who lives in me. So the life I live now, I live through the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That sounds like an end to slavery. That sounds like God saying, I'm going to pick you up wherever I find you, and I'm going to give you a new way to live. That's going to look totally different. There's another guy in the Bible. His name is Job. And his way of expressing is, how am I going to live different from the world around me where everything is based on lust? He said, I made a covenant with my eyes to not not look with lust at a young woman. It's a decision, I'm going to live different, and it's going to take everything.
1: So for all of us, lust looks like an escape. So it's wanting something that isn't ours, right? It's looking to something that doesn't belong to us to fulfill a need, um, maybe a want, but we see it as a need in our own lives. But for women, it can look, it can look very different. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lust does not always mean a physical attraction. It can mean that. And if it does mean that for you, there is freedom and hope for you. But it doesn't always mean that. Instead, it often looks like an emotional desire. It can look like a relational need that we have or an intimacy void. And so because of that, we need to make a covenant too. And it might not look, we're not off the hook just because this verse says, make a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. For us, we need to make a covenant with our hearts and, and really put boundaries around our hearts, not to look upon a man for, with lust for an emotional connection that we should have with our husbands or our future husbands. This can be done in lots of ways. Um, we can read books for escape, right? We can put ourselves in a situation where maybe we're reading books that portray a man that isn't a real man. I know you know what I'm talking about here. Um, It could be magazines. If you see a magazine that says, you know, get the perfect man in 10 days or whatever it is, um, that's not real. Uh, TV shows, movies, anything where we allow our minds to fantasize about something that we don't have. And it might be sexual, but it might not be. It might be relational or emotional, but it's filling that void and lusting for something that isn't ours. Of course, women are not immune to physical lustful desires. And so we don't have an out there either. Um, But we do need to make sure that we're guarding every area of our hearts in that way.
0: And the reason in all this is simple. It's that lust leads to death. We're allowing ourselves to be filled with something that's going to leave us to continue to be thirsty. The way that it works with <clears throat> with visual people, so specifically if we're gonna take the stereotype, it's men. We're visually driven, so we see an image on our phone or on the screen or in a magazine or going to a strip club, that's something that's going to stick in our brain, and it's going to create a dopamine reward cycle. That's the addiction process that gets people tied to drugs, and so what that happens with images is that it gives us a hunger biologically for something that we can never satisfy, There's no drug addict who said, I'm really content just staying with only a little bit. It takes over everything and it leads them to ruin. It's the same way with lust. We're filling our bodies and our minds with something that we're not created to house. And God in his goodness, instead of just setting up rules and crushing us every time so we learn to fear him and hate him, sometimes he backs up and says, okay, I want you to explore this as much as you want because all you're gonna find is a larger need for me. You're going to find that your way of chasing attachment, chasing love through what shows up on your screen and the ways that you can manipulate your body to receive pleasure from that, that that's going to lead to death. And so he's giving us a chance to find that Jesus is better than pornography and Jesus is better than lust.
1: And lust is a comparison because it's based on what we don't have. So it's that temptation of something that we don't have, but we want. We want that connection. We want that physical um, experience. We want that next thing. If there's a guy around me that I have a good emotional connection with, I have two choices. I can either decide to work on my relationship with Ken, or I can say, Ken doesn't meet my needs, but this guy over here, he meets my needs, and I can go that way. Um, it might feel good right away. It might feel like it's meeting a need. But the reality is that is what is going to lead to rot and pain. But if I choose to work on my marriage, if I choose to, you know, water the grass that I have, um, it's going to lead to good fruit. There's going to be good things that grow because of it. So some of this requires thinking long term. We can't just think about the moment. We can't just think about what feels good right now. And, and depending on your personality, this is easier or more difficult. Some of us just are natural savers. We're naturally thinking to the future, and that's not a, a hard thing for us. But some of us, we really like to live in the moment, and we find pleasure in that. And so some of it is actually looking out at your personality and seeing what guardrails you personally need in order to live the life that God has called you to.
0: And we didn't say this first service, but this is one of the reasons why marriage is significant. Like God created sex to exist not just between two people who are committed, but two people who are married. Part of a marriage ceremony is you say the vows to each other, which you either recite or write up your own. But there's also a moment where you're making a vow to God, where you're bringing the Lord, you're bringing God who created you, Jesus who died for you, Lord of heaven and earth and everything in between, you're bringing him into this. So in marriage, you're committing before Jesus to a lifelong relationship that for the rest of our lives, I'm the person who's gonna drive you crazy, but you're the woman who's gonna fill my head and you're my source of physical gratification. Having our head filled with people that we're not married to is gonna lead us to death. It's stealing, Uh, It's being addicted to something that's never going to pan out. And as we feed that through sexual sin, through pornography, through being sexually active before marriage, what this does is it puts us on a path to destruction. And Jesus says that whatever it takes to get out, you get out. As a good Savior, he's not just going to tell us, he's also going to fill you and me with his Holy Spirit that gives us the desire to do what's right and the power to carry it out. The stakes are really clear. He says at one point where he's talking to a large group of people, he gets really personal and really awkward with us in uh, in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it say that you don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even look at a young woman with lust in your heart, that you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And he continues. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then he says one more thing. He says, also, if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And the thing is, is this is the type of life, this is the type of commandment, this is the type of against the grain, running uphill in our society that Jesus recognizes and he empowers us for. We've got three kids, two of whom are in the room right now, which means one's not.
1: One, one was earlier. I was a little nervous.
0: I know. <laughs> we don't usually get shouted down in the negative way. Um, but when Micah was like two, young, not 10 like he is now, because that'd be a different story. Um, you two were at the store and he was in the cart, safely contained in the cart. Uh, and you were going to get snow boots. Uh, but he noticed what section is right next to the snow boots section. What section is always next to the snow boots?
1: The underwear section? I don't know if that's normal, but that's how it was in this store.
0: So what, what happened there? You want to walk us through it?
1: Yeah, so um, one of my children, um, who was very small at the time, noticed a picture. You know, there's pictures in the underwear section like that nobody really should be looking at, let alone men or young boys. And he saw the picture and he looked at me and he said, mom, that girl is naked. We should go back and look at her. (laughs) And I learned something new about the male brain that day because I think he was two. He was a really young talker, um, but he was really, really, really little. And um, yeah, It's funny, right? Like, it's funny. And it was funny at the time, but it's also really sad. Like, it's sad because there's really no escaping. There's no escaping.
0: It's a good thing. God created men and women this way on purpose. Men are more visual. God has a reason behind that. But within that, it's a good thing that can never become a God thing where we just worship what we see and and take from the images that we see, the women that we see. What can gratify us without taking care of the woman behind it?
1: I think it's important to remember, too, that sometimes for women, our temptation is to be desired. We want to be wanted. And um, we have that. That is something that God has created in us, but the way that that should look is that we're being desired by our husbands, and it doesn't always look like that. So when someone isn't our spouse, and they begin to desire us, that feels good. It feels good to be seen and to to want to think that somebody, you know, thinks I'm cute or thinks that I'm smart or whatever, but that is not healthy, and so that temptation is something that we need to resist, and we need to not seek out those opportunities, and that means If we are being pursued by someone that is not our spouse, and this can go men or women, we need to make the choice to engage in our own marriage and cut off that other relationship. So that would be very difficult. And for some people, the situation that you're in might be more difficult than other situations. That might mean not taking a break the same time that your coworker is taking a break. That might mean having an awkward conversation and saying, I actually need to be transferred or moved or something like that. So those boundaries are very, very important. It's difficult, um, but it needs to be done in order for us to, to protect ourselves from our own temptations. And it can be really difficult because the desire to be desired is a real desire. And if we feel like our husband doesn't desire us, that doesn't feel good. It can leave us feeling really, really empty. And I I know it's the same for men. Um, But that is where it's important that we remember as Christians, our identity is not found in how much I'm desired by my husband. It's not found by how much I'm desired by some man that I've either made up in my mind or, um, or know and think that he would fulfill some need. That is not who defines me. I am defined by Jesus Christ. I'm not even defined by what you guys think about me right now. And that's difficult, right? Because we're humans, we want people to like us. We want people to notice us. We want people to have warm feelings towards us. But at the end of the day, those things don't actually matter. How much I am desired by people, especially my husband, does not define me. I am defined, my identity is defined by Jesus Christ. It is what he says about me in his word. It is what he tells me when I'm alone with him. And that is the, that is the identity that I want to hold on to.
0: So the devil hates what's going to save us. Like that, That's the bottom line. The devil hates what's going to save us. He wants to convince us that repentance, basically a spiritual U-turn and a practical U-turn in our lives, is never going to happen. It's just not for us. Uh, James 5.16, this is Jesus' brother. So if anybody knew about being sinful, it's the guy whose brother is absolutely perfect. So everything he does is broken. Uh, James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. None of us on our own want to do that, but we want to get to healing, which means we have to walk through confession. Correction is good for us, but the devil calls it oppression. Discipline leads to delight, but the devil calls it legalism.
1: Boundaries lead to freedom, so the devil calls it restriction. And order can lead to creativity, so the devil calls it imposition.
0: We're going to close each week with seven decisions that we can make today. So there's seven deadly sins, seven decisions. Uh, and what I want us to think about right now is, okay, what's going to define my new identity, right? In everything that I've read in the Bible, I don't think there's a moment where Jesus asks somebody to explain their past. He'll ask questions to prove a point, but he never says, you're already broken, and I don't want that. So today, as we look at this, this is seven things that you can do to change today and change tomorrow, Okay. Where you entered into this room on this list, I don't care. And God doesn't either, except for the fact that we're separated from him because of our sin. What we see in page after page and story after story is Jesus intersecting people's lives and changing everything. Because what was gone before is before Jesus. And what Jesus brings into the picture changes us and changes everything about us. So seven decisions that we can make today. The first one of those is to give your life to Jesus today. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, that means you're not a Christian. That means you don't have a relationship with God because we're separated from God because of our sin. And that's a thing that makes a difference in our lives now and in all eternity. So the first step in overcoming lust isn't just more white-knuckle effort from you and me. It's a heart transplant. It's asking Jesus to come in to fill us with his spirit, which gives us right desires and the power to actually carry those out. So the first step is to give your life to Jesus today.
1: The second is to recommit your life to Jesus. So if you've done that before, maybe you did it yesterday. Today's a new day. You can recommit your life every single day to Jesus. You can wake up every day and say, today I'm going to live for you. And so if you would like to recommit your life to Jesus, today's the day for you.
0: The third thing, uh, this is for us who are visual. Guys, this is totally for us because it involves sports, all right? A ball with air on it is going to bounce. It's going to come back to us. A ball without air is just going to hit the ground and stay there. So our decision today, our our third decision is to decide to bounce our eyes. In our world, there are going to be things that we see on our phone, in reality, on TV, all those things. And we can either look at them and stare at them and take everything we want from the people behind those images and care nothing for the individual, or we can bounce our eyes. We're going to see things. And so we see it, and we bounce, just like a ball with a whole lot of air in it that Tom Brady hasn't gotten a hold of yet. We're going to see it, and we're going to move. You can't control what's around you. We can control how we respond. And so today we can decide to bounce our eyes.
1: And the second part to that is for us ladies. Um, we're going to bounce our hearts. So we're not going to let our hearts sit in a place where we are tied to someone else emotionally, relationally, with intimacy. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to let our hearts sit in those books and those magazines and with those movies um, or with the people that we know that aren't our husband. Oh, we're also... Um, encouraging you to memorize and quote scripture. So you might be thinking, as I have thought for my entire life, I'm not a good memorizer. I've never been good at plays. Like, I'm not your actor because I just cannot remember. But what I've learned in walking with the Lord and choosing to read my Bible every single day, those verses kind of memorize themselves. They really do work their way into my heart and into my language and into my thoughts and into my life. And so making a commitment to read the Bible every day um, or often will help with that. Um, And it's amazing how God will bring to my mind exactly what I need when I need it. I might read something. It's funny. I actually read something this morning that I thought, oh, I could add this in here, but it was too late. But it's funny how he does that because God in his sovereignty knows exactly what I'm going to read. He knows exactly what I'm going to remember, and he knows how to make it work. So doing things like shape. Um, That is simply our church's Bible reading plan. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a methodical way to make sure that you're in the word every day. If you follow that for two years, you've read the whole Bible. And so if you've done that, like we've been doing shape. I think I was in high school when I started doing it. So I don't know how many years that is. I'm not going to do the math right now. But that means I've read through the Bible many times. And what that means is I actually remember those things. I don't remember all of it, but I remember some of it. And that is really, really helpful.
0: Next one is be accountable. Set up some way of support around yourself. And what does that look like?
1: SHAPE GROUPS, so um, where you get in it with a group with other people. And you can actually start those. Um, those don't need to be sanctioned by us. It's simply getting together with other believers to read the Bible and to journal and to ask, like, what is God speaking to me through this verse? Um, Getting involved in a life group. We have one that starts this Tuesday at main campus at 6 o'clock. It's a whole church one for four weeks. It's just really quick on evangelism. And so getting involved in a life group is a way of having accountability in your life because you get to know each other. Uh, Another one is joining a triad. That's a 10-week prayer and discipleship program that we have. Um, And, oh, joining something like Regeneration, which is our recovery program. It's a 10-month intensive recovery program that really is just a great way to find freedom from all of the different things that we have in our lives. And so it could be um, just anything that you can think of that you possibly would need freedom for or joining Reengage, and that is a marriage life group that we have that um, really just dives deep into your marriage and how God wants to restore things that are broken and make bring back to life what maybe isn't so alive um, or just take you from a good marriage to a great marriage.
0: Next one is to confess temptation that leads to sin. Like, why would you confess temptation if temptation isn't a sin, but it's a thing that leads to sin? Uh, Because it's protection. Because none of us are that smart to always see the problem before it's going to happen. None of us are. You watch the news and some brilliant person made a horrible decision. Why? Because they didn't think that they were going to make a horrible decision and they thought they were really brilliant. Uh, This summer after the mission trip, we were on vacation in Mexico, uh, and Anna wasn't feeling good, so I went out to the ocean by myself, and I'm out there boogie boarding because it's not 20 degrees in that water. It's really, really nice water, and I realized that around me were a whole lot of young people not wearing a whole lot of swimsuit, Uh, and so I decided I'm going to go in. I would rather go in than stay out, Uh, not because I'm perfect, but because I've learned the wrong way very many times that I'm not perfect. So on the way in, I took my phone and said, hey, I'm coming in. Because this was going on, and I don't want, I don't want to lust. Uh, and that's confessing temptation. And when I got back to our room, you didn't tell me how horrible of a person I am and all this stuff and everything. Uh, actually, you were asleep. so. Yeah.
1: I was super sick, so I probably just like, like groaned and rolled over. But, yeah.
0: <laughs> but it, it's dealing with the things that lead us into bondage and lead us into imprisonment another thing that's good for right now is most pornography that's viewed isn't viewed in a magazine or on a tv it's on our phone so some of you the smartest thing you can do is to upgrade to a dumb phone all right upgrade to something that isn't going to get images from the internet because that is the path of freedom for you you're confessing temptation in a way that is going to bring life and freedom to you
1: um, and the seventh thing is to move into Jesus, who Jesus says you are. So we talked about this a little bit before, but it's identity. Jesus calls you by your name, not by your sin. So if you come in here today and you're like, I'm just too dirty, I'm too messed up, I've gone too far, um, that's not what Jesus is saying to you today. He is calling you by your name. And he's actually attaching son or daughter to that. So he says, my daughter whom I love, my son whom I love, he's not looking with condemnation. He's looking with grace. And he wants to see you find freedom. And he gives you the power to experience that freedom. Now I can't see. I got a little teary-eyed there. Hold on. Maybe you can read the verse. Romans
0: 8.29, <laughs> it says this, that God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that uh, his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then it continues. And having chosen them, He called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory.
1: So it's good to just remember that. He gave every believer right standing with himself. He traded his perfection and his righteousness for our sin. And we can make that exchange with him. He's offering that to us, and we can make that exchange. And then we can know who we belong to. We can know what our identity is, which is just so amazing. So as we respond today, we realize that it's going to be difficult for some of us because of our past, because of what we've experienced, because of maybe what we've even experienced today, or the images that are flashing through our minds right now. We're not expecting that this is easy. You might even feel a little bit of embarrassment. However, I don't know how many people are in this room, but every single one of us can respond to something of this today. Every single one of us is exposed to these things daily, these temptations daily because of the world that we live in. And so there is an opportunity for every single one of us to respond to some degree to say, okay, God, this is where I am and this is where I want to be and I can only do that. With your Holy Spirit.
0: God tells us his grace is sufficient every day. And that's not written to a perfect person. That's written to a guy in the middle of a busted up society. He's saying it's good enough for today. So today is our day to make a decision to follow Jesus. Our world needs healing. And nothing is going to change if the church doesn't change. And nothing in the church is going to change if we don't follow Jesus in this. Everything in our world that's gone wrong around sex is completely healable by God. And that means that everything in your life that has gone wrong or is yet to even be anything is perfectly guidable, directable, and empowered by God for you and me to live the life that Jesus is calling us to. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, you can find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. Now let's go be a church that makes Jesus look good.